This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Steve Aspen is back with us. Steve was with us in June. And so you may ask yourself, why is he back so soon? Because normally we wait maybe a year or more between guest appearances, unless they are, like some of our guests, extremely prolific. But Steve has not published a new book. He's had quite an adventure with Amazon, though, similar to the one I'm having with Audible or had with Audible. Uh, Steve's book is Out of Time, The Intergenerational Abduction Program Explored. And when we discussed it in June, he was, it was on Amazon. It was readily available from him through his account. Steve, what happened then? Well, um, Whitley, we recorded our last interview uh, in late March. And although I asked you to um, delay the broadcast until June because of this incident that happened with, with Amazon, on the 31st of March, well, there's a little bit of background. I noticed in, in January, I got a very peculiar message from Amazon by email um saying that uh my name had been associated with another account another kdp account which they were absolutely certain of and um this account had violated the terms and conditions of of the content violations basically so i wrote straight straight back to them and said could you give me some details please who whose name is this account in I had absolutely no, no clue what they were talking about. And I got no response to that at all. And I'm then I noticed in February, a um, number of the reviews that, that were posted on the book, none of these people I knew, but I had about 20 five-star reviews on the book, because which had been on the market since uh, September, and one other review which wasn't five-star. Um, some of the reviews started disappearing from the international sites. So um, how the Amazon review system works is that if you buy the book in the United States and you post a review on Amazon, on the books, uh, the product page on Amazon, it shows up in the United States and all over the, all over the world and the other Amazon sites as a verified purchase review. That means you, you can, Amazon can trace the fact that you bought it from Amazon and that review is published all over the world. If you buy it from Barnes and Noble or you're given it as a gift or, or whatever and you review the book, the, the review appears only on the Amazon.com site, but it doesn't go outside the home, home jurisdiction in the United States. So there was a lot of uh, reviews from Germany and France and one from New Zealand and a lot from the US um, showed up on amazon.co.uk and all the other other world um, Amazon sites. And they started disappearing one at a time in February and March. And I was curious about that. I actually didn't raise it. I just thought maybe it'll a glitch that'll just fix itself in a, in a week or so. And then on the 31st of March, I woke up and looked at the phone as I was, you know, putting the kettle on. And um, 
I had a message from KDP saying that my account, my Kindle Direct Publishing account had been suspended, taken offline, and as an author, an author, I no longer had access to it. And that was the end of the message. I received another message about 24 hours later saying that my account had been terminated because of content violations and citing that um, I'd made some posts apparently, or somebody had made some posts which had violated the content rules of uh, Amazon. And that um, I in some way was claimed to be associated with this other account. So I asked for details because this was completely news to me. I mean, it's all a, a, a complete mystery. Um, and I never got an, a satisfactory explanation. They just, um, I appealed against the decision and was told after five or six or seven days when I, you know, I've, I made a number of phone calls. And you, when you phone the Amazon organization, if you're a, a published author, you know, normally you have to go through a several stage process of pressing, you know, two for this and three for that. And you get through to somebody in Bangalore who doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. So you explain everything to them and they, they quote the case number and they say eventually they'll they'll get somebody to phone you back and nobody ever phones you back. So two or three days later, I phoned again and I finally got through to somebody in Manila who and I had to start all over again. You know, they knew nothing about the case. So I explained it all to them, quoted the references and so forth. And again, the same story um, that they uh, would get find somebody to phone me back. And I was never called back. And on the 12th of April, I was finally told by a simple email message that the account was going to stay terminated and the book was uh, withdrawn from sale. And that was the end of the, the dealings. I mean, I never I, I saw no sense in pursuing it any further because they said they made an irrevocable decision and taken this book offline and they weren't going to uh, sell it anymore. They weren't going to host it. Um, I it was Now, this left me in a bit of a fix because I'd published it with Kindle Direct Publishing, through Kindle Direct Publishing, and they'd um, Amazon was in charge of all the print copies and they were the only distributor of the ebook. So I was completely left high and dry. Um, had I used a different publisher, I could probably have continued to print it and have sold it through um, other outlets, other retail outlets. So the book was basically offline from 31st of March when the account was closed. And the explanations I had um, about this from Amazon were completely unsatisfactory. I mean, I, I don't know what you make of this, if, if, you, if you had a similar experience. I, I was, there were a couple of other authors, interestingly, uh, UK authors, um, Malcolm Robinson was one who's uh, written 20, published 20 books and he's, he's a full-time researcher. Um, he's got an organization who investigates uh, poltergeist phenomena and so forth. All his books were taken offline as well and he had the same message from Amazon, but after two months, his account was quietly restored and he wasn't told, he just found out about it by accident and uh, his royalties resumed. And um, I'd been discussing with him of bringing uh, a legal case against Amazon, but he declined to go that route in, in any case. 
Um, there was an, a, at least one other author that I've been in contact with, Ron. I can't remember his, his surname now. There's so many people I've, I've been doing. And you you said that to me um, that you'd looked up these couple of authors and their their um, their books were on sale again. In my the books case, are on sale again. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. In my case, they, they it's complete. I'm completely banned from the Amazon organization. So I had to start all over again and republish. I know I chose a, a small UK independent publisher called Grosvenor House Publishing, quite high quality outfit in uh, Surrey. And um, they have republished book, a book in a hardcover, a cloth bound hardcover that here. It's fantastic, uh, um, really quality artifact with 105 um, GSM paper and a color interior and uh, um the the second format is the paperback which is very similar to the first edition and the third format is the ebook so they've all been gone onto the market um on after the 24th of august which is last thursday and they're in the united states they'll be available from barnes and noble and every high street uh, bookseller in the country so I'm no longer dependent on Amazon to distribute this, the, the, the book. Yes. And will not yes. be. Uh, having said that, interestingly enough, they have um, a product and uh, um, initiated a product page for the books the, in the new books uh, um, formats, the new uh, Grosvenor House publish, publications. And you can buy the hardcover, the e, um, paperback and ebook from Amazon.com. No problem. Um, but they're not published out by Amazon.com. So I, I can't really make any sense of this. Um, it's been off the market for three, th three and a half months and it's now available again. And um, it's all been very time consuming, very annoying and very frustrating. And I just, you know, I can, all I can do to you uh, is relate the facts to you as I've just described them. When we get back, folks, I'm going to relate my facts to you because I've had trouble too. And I think something's going on at Amazon and I think we all need to know about it. It needs to be out in the public space. And um, so I will be, when we be back, we'll, <laughs> when we come back, I'll be talking about my problems. And then we're going to be talking about the relationship between these big companies and authors they maybe don't just don't like and what that means we'll be right back where is the unknown country is it out there in the stars or is it also somewhere else is it in us in you unknown country join us today go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us join the questions join the search join the adventure unknowncountry.com there's no place like it in the world UnknownCountry.com subscribers have access to a vast treasury of information. Listen to what Dr. Robert...
Schock said he's an expert on the past, and for that reason, he also knows a great deal about the future. We are re-entering, as you say, a debris field, and when you have a debris field like this, it enters the solar system, it energizes the solar system as you have things um, going into the sun, even clouds of dust particles, for instance, it will energize the sun, it will destabilize the sun. This is what we saw at the end of the last ice age in approximate terms about 13,000 years ago. And just in the past few days, more enormous meteors have been sighted and this goes on continuously, more and more every year. We live in a time of great change in a world that doesn't like to look at things as they are. UnknownCountry.com offers extraordinary information, a vast archive that you cannot find anywhere else. Subscribe today help keep this website going because without you there is and can be no us go to unknowncountry.com right now click on the subscribe tab get started we're back we're talking to steve aspen his book out of time do get it you can obviously get it practically anywhere now you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Barnes and Nobles, you can get it on Waterstones in the UK, you can get it in your high street bookseller, as he puts it, and um, I'm going to be in the UK soon, and I'll go to my high street bookseller and see if they have it. I hope they do, and if they don't, I'll ask for it. So, the and you can get it from your bookstore, of course, in the US. The book, in other words, has not been suppressed but somebody has been beaten up, Steve Aspen has been beaten up by a process that obviously does not work. Now, I say this from experience because years ago, I suddenly got a email from Amazon saying that I had been reviewing books of my friends in violation of their policies. And the problem was, I. And been, I hate doing book reviews, frankly. And uh, <laughs> I, I had been asked by many friends to do book reviews of their books and have been procrastinating. And I probably reviewed maybe one or two books, not of my friends and uh, or maybe uh, of friends. But in any case, it, it's not, it's a really a gray area in Amazon. Uh, it, uh, so that was, you're supposed to be review books that you have read. And, you know, I had read all the books I reviewed, and I think most of them were probably books of people who had been on Dreamland, who I liked and thought I was impressed by and wrote the re review of. Um, and then I <clears throat> shortly thereafter got a notice saying, you're forever banned from reviewing books on Amazon. I telephoned them. And in those days, it was a long time ago, you didn't end up in Bangladesh when you telephone them as you do now. I talked to a person here and ex said very frankly that I'd never re knowingly reviewed any book in violation of their reviewing policies, which I knew quite well. I'd read them. And 
and then he said, well, the, and, I, and I put this on appeal, and then I got a notice saying that I would never allow to be reviewing a book or anything on Amazon again. And I thought for at first, how annoying. And then I thought, oh, good. Now when people ask you to review books on Amazon, I can just tell them I've been banned. <laughs> so I just left it. Now, however, something extremely terrible happened. Terrible a few weeks ago. It involves the Amazon subsidiary audible.com. What happened was this. At the end of July, I received my June royalty statement from Audible. The royalty statement comes uh, about three or four days before the money is deposited in your account. And I, the royalty statement came. There was no question about the amount. I'm sure it was probably quite accurate, although I have to wonder just a bit about that now. Um, the money didn't show up. And it didn't show up for a week. So I called them and I got the people in Bangladesh who sent me to the people in Calcutta, etc. I mean, I'm not disparaging these people, but they don't speak English well. And they it's clear that they perceive their jobs as to say the, the customer or the complainant is wrong. They're not helpful. And I think it has, maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know. Or maybe they're told to be that way by Amazon. But I called and I, I explained the problem. And finally, I got to somebody who was very helpful and was in Bangladesh or wherever he said he was. I believe he did say Bangladesh. I asked him where he was. And, uh, uh, and he said he would escalate this to the finance department and they would contact me shortly because it was a serious air problem and they would certainly look at it. Nothing happened. I didn't receive a word from any finance department. So I called again about a week later. Now nearly two weeks have passed. Same thing. Escalate to the finance department. They will in get, be in touch with you immediately. But because of the way their system works, the second guy had no access to the file of the first call. Therefore, to him, it was another first call. And that's wrong. I mean, when somebody has a, a, a complaint like this, it should be in a file that when they return, they should have been, have been I should have been given a number or something that would ena have enabled the individual on the other end of the line to see what had already happened. But that does not happen. So again, no response from the finance department. Now I'm getting frantic because I, I need this money. This is my life's work. And people will always say, well, why do you have to charge for your books? And I have to laugh because this is my, all I do. It's my work. If I, you know, as it is, if you, if Steve, I uh, counted out our earnings based on an hourly rate as to how many hours we'd spent on our books, I don't think we'd be making, I don't think he'd be making a pound an hour. I'd be amazed. I would not be making an hour, believe me. I wouldn't even be making a dollar an hour. And yet there's that friction, but not from most people. Most people understand that if you if you do work, you, you, you need to get paid in this culture. Otherwise, you die. So 
I'm pretty frantic at this point because this is my main source of income. And uh, I don't know where to turn. I'm just in shock, the best way to put it, absolutely in shock. So I think to myself, I'm going to put this out in public. And things get much more complicated because I sent copies of them to the entire Senate Intelligence Committee. At this point, this is all still going on with, with Audible. I then have a speaking engagement at the Lilydale Assembly of the Spiritualist Church of America uh, in, uh, in uh, Casadega, New York. I am stop, I stop at the Chautauqua Institution nearby, which is a place where Anne and I used to go and love very much. We used to go every summer for years. And I stopped there kind of for old time's sake for an overnight. I notice that while I'm going there, that I'm being followed from the airport from in Buffalo. And I think, okay, someone recognized me and followed me. That happens. And I have been, I've taken a training about how to detect a tail and how to lose a tail because in my position that does happen and it's often very innocent it's often just somebody who recognizes me and sees me and wants to maybe you know talk to me or something and they're just a little bit overly aggressive there's nothing that you generally no harm in it. and i don't think this type was one either but i i'm not going to go into detail about how this works obviously uh, but I performed the maneuvers necessary to, I ended up on a side road with the tail still behind me. And in the process of realizing that I was not going into the motel, they thought I was going into and sitting beside, behind me with wide eyed expressions on their face. And I just turned around and went on down the road. And I thought, well, it's it's obviously a fan of something who doesn't who shouldn't have been doing things like that. And California, it's called stalking, and it's against the law, but it's not true in New York. So uh, I went on to Chautauqua, whereupon I discovered that Christian Gillibrand, the senator who is leading the charge against the DOD, was going to speak on the day I happened to be there purely by chance. And now I thought to myself, that tale takes another twist because I have a feeling that was the intelligence community. They would know that I had sent my book, Them, to the whole Senate Intelligence Committee. And they were tailing me because they thought I was planning to hook up with Christian Gillibrand at the, at the conference. And the last thing they want is for the abductions to become a part of the dialogue about UFO and UAP secrecy. That is an absolute uh, line in the sand for them. Of course, it was just seemingly just chance that I happened to be there on the day she spoke. Uh, I didn't uh, talk to her. I didn't listen to her speak as if they could imagine that I would be so unsophisticated as to try to buttonhole a United States senator and say, hey, I would like to tell you about alien abductions while she's walking through the streets of a Chautauqua institution. Forget it. I would never try that. I have a much more 
rational ways of dealing with this. So no one in the one senator sent me a form letter back from the Senate Intelligence Committee acknowledging the receipt of the book. And I have to wonder if they were intercepted, perhaps, and all thrown out, which could have, could have easily happened. In any case, um, so all of that's going on. I spent a, a few nights at the old cabin with the, the lovely, lovely family who now own it. And I had incredible experiences there that I'm going to go into in the third half, the third, the third part of the show. Anyway, uh, so here's the situation. I have no money. I mean, my money's being taken. I do have some money. I'm not, I'm not uh, hand to mouth, but I, my money is being held back. I have uh, had this following incident, the chance passage, it, it, ships passing in the night with Christian Chris Gillibrand. And I'm just nuts by this time. I call a lawyer, and not just any lawyer. I'm not going to tell you his name. But he has got a reputation as being a really ferocious and effective plaintiff's attorney. He's well known in legal circles. I also first met him when I held him in my arms when he was three days old. So he turned out to be the right lawyer for me. He got on to Audible's chief of... Uh, they cheat their their head attorney. And Friday, I received a notice from Audible. This is now we're. I don't know exactly when we're going to run this. It's probably going to not be right away. Uh, this is August the twenty eighth. Last Friday, I received a notice from Audible saying that they had paid both payments. The lawyer simply sent them a letter saying you're in breach of contract. And that's a serious thing. They were obviously completely in breach, illegal action, illegal withholding of these funds that they admitted that they owed to the penny. Uh, so the money, as of this morning, August the 28th, has arrived in my account. So far, I have received no explanation. The lawyer has apparently received no explanation from the from Audible as to what happened. And I don't think they will. And I think, Steve, that this is where we are. And I know of another author, I haven't contacted him yet, an astrologer who's having the same problem with uh, Amazon not paying it. Just not paying him and not, and not saying why and not responding. I think that there are people working in these companies who don't like certain subjects and that they are harassing people who write on those subjects. I think that's what this is all about. And that Amazon being so huge is unable to successfully self-police. Basically, that's what it is. I don't, I, I don't think it's a secret cabal of intelligence officers or anything like that. I would be amazed if that was the case. I mean, it's anything is possible. Um, but I think that basically we're being harassed from within a company that has not got the 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 the, the uh, checks in place to stop this i think that's what's happening 
You, you could you could be right about that, Willie. I, I don't really know the causative agency of this interference. Um, I I would have probably put it down to a malfunctioning algorithm and something of that nature. Were it not for the reviews of my book being manipulated and deleted over four, five, six weeks. And that was something deliberate and it takes human interference from somebody inside the yeah, well, I think organization. I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's human yeah. interference. Yeah. Someone yeah. interfered who, who had absolutely no right to do that. They interfered with you. They may have even created some account that you can't see. It, that has yeah. your name associated with it because if well i think within yeah. amazon i mean god they must have carte blanche yeah something of now, that nature the, yeah. the, this is very important folks if you are a writer and are, are or have books on any of these platforms any amazon related platforms and you get into trouble like this please let me know at Whitley at Strieber.com because we've got to go to the, I'm, I'm taking my case to the author's guild. And I think you should take your case to the author's guild too, Steve. Okay. This needs to be known. I thought about taking it to the Pan American center, but it's already been made clear to me that, that Penn defends authors who are worth defending. And unfortunately, I'm not one of those for the, as far as they're concerned. I still contribute to Ben because they do good work, but they do not like me. Uh, I'm too out, mm. out there for them. So in any case, I think the Authors Guild should hear about things like this. And uh, what's it called in the UK? Uh, there is an Authors Guild in the UK. I don't know. I got get messages from the Authors Guild all the time, so I'm kind of in touch with them. I think uh, well, yeah, well, then get, get in but touch with the I one. I think it's just... I think it's just the Authors Guild. I don't know whether there's maybe maybe there's another one uh, here. Is it is it a pen, something like that? What I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't. Can't oh, well, anyway, it. we should we should definitely get in touch with with them. And I've not I'll been a professional, in... unlike you, Whitley. I've not been a professional author um, for my career. Um, I retired a few years ago, and and out of time was my first book ever, ever published. Yeah. So this was all new to me, really. This this world. I, I don't think that this is some sinister intelligence operation at all. I think Amazon mm -hmm. needs to clean house because they have people in their, in their, in their ecosystem who are censoring books and harassing authors they don't like. I think and using the system uh, to do that. I, I think that's almost certainly the case. And do you do you, do you suspect they're they're operating on the alone, or do you think there's a group of them? I would think it's a religious group. Religious group. Mm -hmm. A religious group or a political Interesting group. Interesting thought. Yeah. And I think that they're probably being very careful. But I because the other author that I know of who has been being stiffed at the present time by Amazon is uh, an author of uh, astrology books. So you get alien abduction <laughs> and astrology, and you see these are occult books. And my guess is that there are people inside Amazon at some level, and I won't say necessarily Christian fundamentalists because there could there are a lot of people, Hindu fundamentalists, Christian fundamentalists, 
Muslims, people with believers of all kinds who have reason to object to our work. And I think that these people are there and that they will, they're, if they're successful, they're going to get bolder and it's going to become very chaotic for a lot of authors. I don't know how many other authors outside of our community have had these problems, but there might be a lot. It might be a very much of an undiscovered issue. And that's how I'm, what I'm going to bring up with the Authors Guild. And I'm hoping that the Authors Guild will then get into touch with Amazon because this is not something, Amazon is a very effective publishing house. I could not still publish if it wasn't for Amazon and Audible. I respect them enormously and I love their work and their effectiveness. People can click on something and if they want to buy a hardcover, softcover of my book, they can get it overnight anywhere in the world practically. Or a, a wonderful audio book and all of that. That is wonderful. It's wonderful, especially mm. an author like me where nine out of 10 buyers in the bookstore community just snicker when they see the name Whitley Strieber. They don't want to put my books up uh, in their stores, but I've still got a big audience, but, and it's because of Amazon and Audible and Barnes and Noble and the others, a distant second. But I think of this as a problem that they have that we can help them solve and continue to make, be sure Amazon remains the wonderful company that it is. Hmm. That's for writers. That is, and I know that we have all kinds of objections to Amazon. It's becoming a monopoly, but not in the book trade. It's a player in the book trade, but it's by no means a monopoly. So, yeah, it's not a monopoly, uh, but it's a very, very big one. Maybe the largest, um, certainly the largest on, on, online retailer of books worldwide, I would think. Yeah, but it's not, but I, they don't have a monopoly. I also think that they have. Uh, greatly increased the amount of reading that's being done. Yeah. And created a whole new kind of reading with audible books, a whole new kind of reader. I, I think they're, I think it's a wonderful outfit and uh, we need to help it get better. That's, that's my attitude. So, okay. Now let's talk about what in your book might have made the somebody let's say it's a religious group of some kind decide they needed to give you trouble um, first, no, wait a minute steve I'm, I'm 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 jumping the gun in two ways first it's time for a break and second uh we need to go back and have you tell your story briefly. Steve told it in June, but I want him to remind you briefly of what is the, the book is about, and then we'll go on to what it may be that caused this to happen, if I'm right about why it happened. We'll be right back. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. 
To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he, because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young, I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more, not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Ann Streber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. We're talking to Steve Aspen, his new book, Out of Time, <laughs> in more ways than one. In this case, he seems to have been run out of time by Amazon. Out of time. Out of stock. The intergenerational abduction program explored. Somebody didn't like that enough to try to kick you off Amazon and silence you. That's the bottom line here. So tell us a little bit about the book. Well, um, it's a book about the abduction phenomenon, which is not talked about that much nowadays. Um, and it's excluded from the um, the very public dialogue um, around David Grush's re as revelations and uh, his testimony to, um, you know, the U.S. Congress over the past few weeks, and uh, a number of other people have testified to, to the Congress, you know, about the UAP issue and about the ATIP program and the OSAP uh, programs and so forth over the past fifteen years. So it's completely excluded from the dialogue. But it's my contention. It's it's my. I, I'm a lifetime experiencer of these events, um, which I didn't work out were in any way related to aliens or 
uh, non-human intelligences or or extraterrestrial life forms. I have no idea that it was anything to do with that until in my when I was about 50, actually, in 2007, um, that's when it all fell into place. And I began to pursue it with a determination and certainty that that was the causative agency. And I, I, be, I began to investigate and read up on the abduction phenomenon in a way that I'd never been inclined to do before. But it was, it was, it's there since um, infancy. I mean, I devote the first chapter of the book um, to my experiences from infancy until middle age when uh, a, a long series of bizarre and peculiar events like UFO sightings, missing time episodes, and a sighting of um, uh, two grey aliens in a hotel room in Sardinia with my father or a, or a very vivid, realistic image of my father standing between them and a cattle mutilation, which I saw when I was 14 years old in Ireland, I was taken to visit a, a close-up cattle mutilation, exactly like those that, that have uh, played farmers in the Midwest. Okay, tell, us, tell us a little bit. Well, before let's get to the cattle mutilation in more detail in a moment, but before that, <laughs> What, tell us about your early experiences and what your grandmother said they were. Yeah. I, um, I asked one of the, I used to have these um, episodes at night um, every, every few weeks when I was paralyzed and the, the, I was surrounded by these little creatures who had a very unpleasant, uh, musty smell to them. And they, um, they, I felt I was manhandled and moved about, and and I could never move a muscle in in those uh, these instances. Um, and one time I was lying on my back on one of these tables they put you on, and I asked the one of I just asked the one who seemed to be in charge, a slightly taller one, who was has back to me at the time, why they were doing this to me. What I'd had done to, to deserve this? What was the what was the reason? Did everybody go through this, or do, was it just some of us, or was it just me? Probably not just me. And he said to me, telepathically, because that's the way they talk to you. He said, "Oh, it's because of your mother and your and your grandmother and your great grandmother, and you're the next in the line." And it's very factual, very matter of fact. And he just carried on with what he was doing. The next time I met my grandmother, who died um, within about 18 months of this particular conversation with this entity, the next time I met my grandmother, I asked her about these nighttime incidents and uh, what, whether she recognised what I was talking about. And she said, oh, Stevie, they're just the pixies. They're, they're, they're the pixies. They'll, they'll always bring you back. Don't worry. And she had this um, uh, she had this framework for it that this happened to a lot of kids or most kids, and you just had to wait until the ch a child asked you about it, and you just explained to them that they were pixies and they took you away, and they sometimes well they always brought you back. And um, she was completely adjusted to it uh, as her reality. I don't I don't recall this ever being any part of the conversation 
between her and um, my mother, you know, her daughter, uh, and any other members of the family where I was present. It never, never came up. But now, just on this one occasion, I asked her, and that's what she said. Let's take a pause here, folks. I want to put up something, a photograph of a gray, a pixie, if you will, coming up out of a basement in Mexico. This, and as I'm talking, you're now seeing it. And this is a almost certainly a real image. Now, I know that members of the skeptics community will say it's a fake and this and that. But if it is a fake, it's still real because this is what I've seen including and you notice it has a vagina and i saw one comment about it oh it can't be an alien they wouldn't have vaginas ha no why not they're sort of angelic beings who reproduce out of their left ears i don't think so uh this is what i see and another thing that could happen is that someone can put up another picture and say this i made this and this is how it was done and yes, that's true. You can make one that looks just like that, but that doesn't mean this image isn't real. Even if this image isn't real, it is so accurate that it is truly an image of one of these individuals and coming up out of a basement. And the reason is the same reason that Steve would smell a musty smell when he, when they uh, would come near him. They come from underground. The theater in the sky, Annie, remember, always said, it's a theater in the sky, a theater in the sky. They're making us look up while they come from below. Does that mean they only live below and this is also their world? It may. Or it may be that they came from originally from somewhere else and have lodged themselves below. We don't know the answer to that question. But they are quite real. And now, and this is going to be the subject of my next book, why do they come up from below? Why were they so interested in Steve? And what about the generational aspect of it? Steve knows a lot more about this. We're going to take a final break, and then we're going to talk to him in more depth about just what that generational aspect of it may mean. We'll be right back. My new book, Them, has now been out since March of 2023. I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception, those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? And the answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. 
Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so, and so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience. And this is getting more and more important over time. More and more important. Them. I saw the future when I was writing that book. Didn't know I would, but I did. You can read it now and see for yourself. We're talking to Steve Aspen. His new book, Out of Time, The Intergenerational Abduction Program Explored. Now, Steve, we've come pretty far down this road. Can you let us know exactly what you think and have come to conclude is the reason for this intergenerational abduction program? Yeah, well, um, in the book, um, in chapter eight and chapter nine uh, in the book, the last two chapters, I do um, present evidence that the program probably started in the 1890s. And I, I, I do bring a fair bit of evidence to that. It may have been a little earlier, but I don't think it was after 1900. I think this has been going on um, about 120 years now. And so we're into the fourth or fifth or maybe sixth generation, depending on you know the length of a generation. Um, the time interval of a generation. Um, the 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 alien which spoke to me when I was 10, 11 years old and um, told me that it was before because of your mother and your grandmother and your great grandmother. And the 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 very very strong impression I had from him was that that was it. It wasn't nothing was happening before that. Your great grandmother was the start of it. Your mother, your grandmother, and your great grandmother. Full stop. And my great grandmother was born in 1873, and by the 19 by 1890, she would have been uh, 17 years old, which is the start of the reproductive years for um, a, a female. And in those days, lots of lots lots of girls were married at 17. Some women married much later, of course, but. Um, she had a first child in 1908, so she she married fairly late-ish. Um, my grandmother was her only child, and um, I, I I think um, the intergenerational thing must be something to do with them changing the genetic makeup very subtly in ways that our geneticists can't detect, or they're not looking for for it. They, they may must be making some subtle genera uh, generational changes to the the um, to the, the abductees. Um, one of the curious things is that I, I, one of the things I, I go into in a later chapter was that you know the the, the reproductive um, cycles of um, of humans the the, the human females um, have all their oocytes created when they're in the womb before they're born so by the time a baby girl is born she's got several million oocytes in in her uh, body uh, which um at the onset of pubis, puberty 
they develop into ovarian follicles and one is released every roughly every 28 days for the whole of her, her um, adult life until she's about 50 when menopause kicks in. So she re releases about 500 oocytes, um, some of which develop into um, babies if, if they're fertilized and uh, she, she becomes pregnant. Human males have the diametrically opposite happen to them. They don't have any sperm produced at all until until puberty and then sperm production starts and it doesn't stop until a man dies even if he if he lives to 110 years old he's still producing some sperm um it's considerably reduced like all physiological functions are you know as you age um but it, it never stops so he has some sperm production even if the, the motility and numbers are, are down he's still producing and one of the things that male abductees have always told me is that those who have a good recall or train themselves to have a good recall is that they have sperm samples taken so far as they know on every single abduction event. And the question is, why would they do that? Because you think that any sort of sentient life form would, uh, with advanced science and biology understandings which they obviously have would realize that if they get a one sperm sample they can freeze it or sustain it somehow and use it for millions and millions of offspring if they want to create offspring from them but they always go back to well every few weeks they get another sperm sample from the man every time the man's abducted this happens and there's a variety of um of ways they do it, they you know they they put something over the the whole groin area, and they, it's a kind of suction device when the man's lying down on the table. Or occasionally they have um, female abductees or or female hybrids assist them in a, you know very imaginative ways. Men who've had vasectomies also have sperm taken by the insertion of a, a very small needle at the back of the testes, um, just behind the testes. So they have, and sometimes they they resort to. Uh, a technique of electro a kind of electro ejaculation, which where the man that's that's what happened to me. Yes, well, you can confirm that, that and then and the, yeah, the, that the, that happened yeah. to me absolutely. And also, uh, I had a, an incident of sex, but it wasn't with a hybrid; it was with one like the picture. That's why I well, know they have yeah. vaginas. Yes, um, so they this sperm taking from the sperm that's constantly produced by a man's testes, even, even from men who've had vasectomies, in other words, that have had a physical, a physical surgical intervention to prevent the sperm being um, ejaculated through the uh, urethra. Um, they have a technique for all that and they, they're, they're, they're experienced with it all and they know exactly what they're doing. And there must be a reason why they do this, why they take so much sperm from all their male abductees. And I think it's, it must be because the, the abductees are being slowly genetically modified and the, the modifications um, in the abductees, because the sperm is all freshly manufactured, may, must be present in the sperm somehow. That's the reason why they it keeps taking the sperm samples. I, I don't know if anybody has a different explanation for this. Um, well, I'd I, be 
very keen to hear it, but I've well, I have I have a sort of supporting observation. Two things: one, a needle was put into the side of my head when I was in my abduction experience in 1985. Two, it has been observed on MRI scans that a certain area of the brain is apparently connected somehow with this. It is the white matter between two parts of the executive function of the brain, the caudate and the putamen. And this white matter is associated with, it's not really very well known what it does, but high density white matter seems to be associated with a high level of psychic ability. I don't have high density white matter. I have high normal density white matter, but there are people who have been studied by Dr. Christopher Green, Kit Green, whose white matter is really dense and they're very psychic and very involved in the experience. Uh, in my case, as he put it, the connections are totally unique in his experience. And this is man with a probably 50 years of experience as a neurologist or maybe more by now. And he had never seen a brain like it. And I think you're looking at a person whose brain was altered by them, probably so that I can be what I am now, which is I use the implant. And very frankly, I'm linked to them so completely that when I meditate late at night at three o'clock in the morning, it used to be that I would struggle to connect with whatever it was that was trying to connect with me at that time. Now I'm, it's like being plugged in and I'm working. It's a, my new book, the one I'm working on right now is more of a team effort than any of the others. So you're looking at that evolution in action here, I think. And it's an evolution toward, in my case, a link linking between us and them uh why don't you tell us a little bit about your impressions of why they would be doing this in the 1970s and 1980s a lot of female abductees claimed that they were the pregnant without cause without they were not in a relationship and they they just became pregnant and they furthermore said that um they were that was confirmed by medical authorities and yes that some somehow they after that about 10 weeks usually was was the the optimum time they the pregnancy disappeared without any bleeding and they suddenly knew they weren't pregnant again and there's there's accounts from female abductees of having the fetus removed uh from them and furthermore in the these this sounds crazy to somebody who doesn't know the subject but Abductees also reported through the 80s and 90s and, uh, and maybe not after that, that they, when they were on board abducted, they were asked to or made to um, or encouraged to hold a baby, a little baby thing, really small baby, and feed it and nurture it and uh, cherish it and radiate love to it. And um, there were a lot of stories about people seeing um, in these, in these uh, excuse me, in these uh, craft that they were taken to, rows and rows of, of tanks of brown fluid in which uh, a fetus or embryo was floating. 
And this was very, very commonly reported. I mean, even Terry Lovelace reported this um, uh, during one of his major abductions in the in wasn't the nineteen eighties the Devil's Den Den incident. But he he writes about that. But he he was he was in a room with uh, hundreds of tanks of uh, little little babies in. So they were they were rearing that these these um, babies are obviously quote, born, unquote, at some point. In other words, they, they became separate lives uh, that didn't need that kind of sustenance uh, as they grew. And um, people then reported they were dealing with hybrid children, which I actually remember in, in my case uh, in, throughout the 1980s and 90s. I was dealing with Tell us more children. about the hybrid children. Um, I, I just have an I have nighttime wait, wait, incidents. Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on, we've reached the end of the first hour, so I have to take a break and say goodbye to our free uh, listeners. And I said that I would be talking about some things that had happened to me in the third half hour. I'm going to put that, folks, into the section, the subscriber section separately. And because Steve and I have got a lot to talk about and we haven't finished yet by any means. Okay, so we'll be right back. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>